if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together surrender our lives. Say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to a new episode of the Radical Together podcast. And if you're new to the podcast, you can listen to all the previous episodes at Radical.net or by subscribing on iTunes. Today, we continue the second part of David's four-part series from Philippians chapter 3 entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. To find a treasure, a value that is so infinitely great surpassing greatness. That is redundant language in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3. He is making a point. The surpassing greatness, something so infinitely wonderful, infinitely beautiful, that even the best things this world has to offer, I lose them for his sake. I risk them. I sacrifice them for his sake. All the good things that we've talked about. Family, socially, biblically, religiously, morally, all those things. Isn't this the cry of men and women throughout Scripture, throughout church history? I've been reading a good bit over the last month in Exodus and in Job. Looking at, looking at Job, a guy who one day lost it all, everything all of his possessions, all that he owned, all of his wealth taken out from underneath him and not just the things, the people. What agony. I can't read Job lightly when we realize all of his children died just like that. All of them, not one of them left. The only person left is a nagging wife. And Job, with nothing, nothing, not even his health anymore. He's got boils all over his skin. And in Job chapter 19, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand for me. I've lost it all, but I've got my Redeemer. Moses, it says he led the people of God to much disgrace to himself. He could have had all the treasures of Egypt. Hebrews chapter 11 says, he, he, he forsook, he left behind all the treasures of Egypt and he counted it. Listen to this. He counted it wiser to suffer disgrace for the sake of Christ. And yes, Hebrews 11 says for the sake of Christ. It's kind of weird because Moses is in the Old Testament, but he knew the infinite greatness of God and the promise that he had given in his salvation through Christ. Moses counted disgrace for the sake of Christ, suffering for his sake as better, infinitely better than all the pleasures of Egypt combined. Hannah, a text that has been real, especially for Heather and me, praying through her desire to have a child. And as she prays, she says, I know that my God has power to give life and to take life, and I trust in him. In her agony, she has him. 
It's the cry of men and women throughout biblical history. Now, some of us might think at this point, well, okay, Paul, Moses, Job, pretty sharp guys. I'm just not there spiritually. I'm not on that pedestal spiritually. Let me show you a guy in Scripture who you may not even recognize. Go back to Philippians. Go back to Philippians with me, and I want you to see Philippians chapter chapter 2. Go back to the passage right before the passage we're reading. And I want to show you kind of a no-namer in Scripture. You might recognize the name when you see it. You might not. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Paul says, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Let's say that one together. One, two, three. Epaphroditus. I'll tell you what name was not on the possibilities for Caleb, okay? (laughs) Epaphroditus. Now, who is this guy? Let's know what it says about him. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. A little background here. Paul, we remember, is writing from prison, house arrest, and the Philippian church had sent this dude, Epaphroditus, to come and support him and encourage him and to bring resources to him. So they'd sent Epaphroditus to care for him. Verse 26, he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Now listen to this, verse 30. You might underline it, great verse. Epaphroditus, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul says it, says it actually two times in this passage that Epaphroditus almost died. We don't know why he was ill, how he was ill, or what exactly his illness was. But we do know that he was sick. Why was he sick? Because of the work of Christ that he had given himself to. Because of what he was doing, his health had suffered very bad to the point where he was on the doorstep of death. And then it says he, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Now, you might circle that phrase because this is, this is thick. This is actually only one word in the original language of the New Testament. It's parabolos humanominos, okay? Isn't that a great word? You get that down? It's 16 letters, and it is packed with meaning. The word literally means to wager, almost as if in a game of chance, to gamble. This is a term that was used to describe gambling in that day, to wager, we're in a game of chance to gamble something. So here we've got a picture of Epaphroditus, God's gambler. In the best of ways, the gambler. What did he gamble? He risked his life. He risked everything to go and support Paul, to be a part of the mission the church had been given by Christ. Why would Epaphroditus risk it all? He knew what he was getting into. He knew what it would cost him. Why would he do it? He decided to do that because he knew the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. And so he realized this is not really a gamble at all because compared with his greatness, anything is worth losing, even 
my life. Does that sound familiar? Philippians 1, 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll look at that some more next week when we get into the rest of Philippians 3. So we got a picture of Epaphroditus. You know, it's really neat. In the first few centuries of the church, after this, there was a group of people in the church that formed together in a group called the riskers or the gamblers. And they used the same Greek word that was used to describe Epaphroditus to describe themselves. They followed his example. And what they would do was this group would say, we're going to go to the places nobody else will go. They went into the prisons. They went in to care for the people who were sick, not just people who were sick, but those who were sick with the most contagious of diseases that nobody else wanted to be around. They said, we're going to risk our lives to help these people, to care for these people. In the third century, in Carthage, North Africa, there was a severe plague. Thousands and thousands of people were dying. And the pagan inhabitants of Carthage got to the point where they would, even family members would not be near them if they had the plague. Even after they died, they would not go to care for their bodies and bury them because they didn't want to risk getting the plague. And it was a group of believers, gamblers, riskers, who said, we're going to rise up. Cyprian of Carthage, the bishop of the church there, got together Christians and they would go around from person to person, house to house, and they would care for the people that nobody else cared for. People who were suffering from the plague, they went and cared for, and some of them got the plague as a result. They risked it all. Do you see the picture here of New Testament biblical Christianity? This kind of Christianity holds on to no one in this world. Holds on to nothing in this world. That whenever it comes to choosing between something and Christ, we always choose Christ. Someone in Christ, we always choose Christ. Or when the people or the things in this world The good people, the good things, the things that mean most to us are taken away. We never lose our joy. We never lose our lives. Why? Because Christ is our life. He is our treasure. Does that mean there's not pain when you lose? Absolutely not. There is deep pain. We've got tears from Jesus Christ himself when he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've got real pain, not an artificial, oh, I've got joy even though I don't have anything. It's a real pain, but it's a pain that says Christ is still my treasure. And as long as I've got Christ, I've got everything I need. Is that the kind of lives that we're living in this room? Is that the kind of perspective we have? Or are we hiding behind the many treasures of the wasted life, living a life that says, I'm going to have Christ and these treasures? That's what the Judaizers were doing. We'll follow Jesus, but we'll also do this and this and this and this. We'll have this and this and this and this. And Paul says, it's all rubbish. All I've got is Christ, and that's all that matters. You take away everything from me. Imagine how frustrating it was for these, the, the, the people in, who were caring for Paul in this Roman jail cell, for him to look at them and say, you know, if you kill me, that's actually better for me. If you let me live, that's going to be the really good thing too. You do anything to me and I'm happy because I've got Christ. David will be back in just a moment, but first I want to tell you about a new resource launched this month called Radical Soundbites. These brief audio clips are helpful, concise soundbites in which David addresses a specific topic through the lens of Scripture. We hope this resource will encourage you and help you thoughtfully and prayerfully engage others with the truth of God's Word. 
You can find Radical Soundbites via our social media channels at Follow Radical on Twitter and the Radical Facebook page. And if you'd like to explore additional resources from the ministry of David Blatt, visit Radical.net. Here's David with the rest of today's message. God, help us to risk it all. God, help us to stop playing games with the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. God, help us to sacrifice every treasure of the wasted life. Ladies and gentlemen, how are we ever going to impact inner city Birmingham with the gospel if we hold on to our comforts and our social status and our families more than we hold on to Christ. We won't do it. How are we ever going to accomplish the Great Commission? If the least reached parts of the world today are the most dangerous places in the world today. The reaction to this point has been, well, if they're the most dangerous places, then we need not go there. We need to stay away from there. And the kind of Christianity that we're seeing in Philippians 3 is radically different. It says we're going to the most dangerous places. And we're risking our lives. And we're risking our families. And we're risking our jobs. And we're risking our finances. We're risking it all so that Christ would be exalted in us. We want to gain Christ. We want to know him completely. And we want the world to see that he is a treasure of lasting value. And you take anything from us and we will be pleased with our Savior. That's much bigger than a Sunday morning routine. One of the biographies I had the opportunity to read over the last month was one of my favorite missionaries, actually, uh, a guy for whom Caleb is named in part, Caleb Thomas Platt. His, uh, His middle name comes from my dad, my hero. If I could be half the dad that my dad was to be, was to me, then I would have more than succeeded in my relationship with Caleb. His first name, Caleb, come from the picture in the Old Testament of a bold follower of God who stood on the brink of the promised land when the people were having to decide whether they would die in their religion or die in their devotion. He said, let's die in our devotion. Let's go into the promised land. He was risking it all. But then even his initials, C.T., one of my favorite missionaries from Church history is a guy named C.T. Studd. Pretty cool name, huh? Kind of has a ring that C.T. Platt doesn't have, but that's all right. We do what we can. C.T. Studd. Talk about risking it all. One of my favorite quotes from C.T. Studd. He said, some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. This is a guy who was a wealthy English athlete, had lots of money. And when he came to faith in Christ and he realized the joy of Christ, he literally sold all of his possessions, gave them all away. He, after that, almost like he was being tempted by the adversary, received an inheritance from his father and he gave it all away. He had no money to his name. And he went off to China where he began sharing the gospel. 
And unreached people was there. About 10 years and a wife and four children later, he came back to England and he prepared for his next mission. He left and he went to India and he lived there, penetrating unreached people groups with the gospel. He came back and then when he was older, did not store up treasures for retirement. Did not count his 401k and say, okay, I've made it. I've done my work. He left for Africa. He said, this is the most unevangelized place in the world today. And I want to go and proclaim Christ. Risked his life and went into inland Africa. During the last 13 years of his life, he saw his wife for one night because she was raising funds to support what he was doing there. To see their letters they wrote to each other and their partnership in the gospel, even from a distance. I'm not advocating this, but golly, what an amazing picture. He faced a lot of resistance from the church. The church said he had kind of lost it. He was risking too much. They said, don't go to China, don't go to India, and don't go to Africa. What kind of difference can you make on the continent of Africa? Wait until another time. Wait until other people will go with you. Of course, nobody else was willing to go with him. And he wrote this, kind of a rallying cry. I want you to hear what he said. He said, believing that further delay would be sinful, some of God's insignificance and nobodies, that's what he called himself. Isn't that a great New name for a group. We're God's insignificance and God's nobodies. We have decided on certain simple lines according to the book of God to make a definite attempt to render the evangelization of the world an accomplished fact. Too long, listen to this, too long we have been waiting for one another to begin. The time for waiting is past. The hour of God has struck. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. And the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should men such as us fear before the whole world, I before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby Christian world. He said namby-pamby. We will... We will dare to trust our God. We will venture our all for him. We will live and we will die for him. And we will do it with his joy unspeakable, singing aloud in her hearts. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than live trusting in man. And when we come to our position, we realize the battle is already won and the end of the glorious campaign is in sight. Because we will have the real holiness of God not the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts. We will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. I don't want to come to the end of my life. And it is possible for me to come to the end of my life preaching every week and leading a good family and being zealous in religion and in the middle of it all to have it wasted because I missed the whole point. I don't want to come to the end of my life and have wasted written across the top. I want to come to the end of my life and see that all things have been counted loss and Christ is my treasure. I want us to be a church. I want us to be a church. And we could be a church 
that could go throughout the next 20, 30, 40 years and do some great things and have some great programs and have some great ministries and over the top have it written, wasted. I want our church to count for his glory on the landscape of human history such that we say, we consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Now that seems like too great a risk. It seems like too great a gamble. But here's the beauty of it. When we consider everything a loss and when we treasure Christ, it's then and only then that we learn to honor these things best and to use these things best. And all of these good things now become avenues through which we treasure Christ more. What a radically different way to look at life. God, help us to risk it all. Help us to realize that Christianity, which costs nothing, produces the same. God, help us to realize that it is better to lose our lives than to waste them. God, we praise you for the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we honor you today as the one who paid it all, who paid the price for our sins so that we might know you. Lord Jesus, help us to see the treasure that you are. Help us to value you for who you are. God, take our eyes, we pray, off of even the best things of this world to see you. And then in turn, help us to to take the best things in this world and to use them for your glory and to trust and to treasure you more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. For more resources from David Platt, including those in other languages, visit Radical.net. And if you'd like more information on the International Mission Board, visit imb.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David, right here on the Radical Together podcast.